Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin, and I am your host. And today, I am so thrilled to have Madison Young here to talk all about their upcoming show, uh, Submission Possible, debuting on Reverie. The second episode is coming out soon. They also have a crowdfunding campaign if you want to support the show. It is an amazing docu-series that uh, Madison Young goes around the country uh, and to other countries in the future exploring what the kink and sex-positive communities are like in each of these different places. Uh, One thing of note that that they talk about is that uh, a lot of the people that they encounter uh, was during COVID or coming right out of quarantine. And so a lot of the kinks and fetishes and uh, sexual culture that they experience uh, is with people who got to do their uh, their thing for the first time uh, since quarantine, which is really, really cool. Uh, and I think... I don't know. I think a lot of us out there can relate. Uh, You know, I certainly, I certainly can. Um, Quarantine has been, has been interesting and the world reopening has been uh, challenging. I don't know about all of you, but I am, I am struggling with it. I, uh, yeah, like being thrust back into the real world, Without a lot of acknowledgement of the global trauma and impact that has happened over the last 14 to 16 months is it feels quite overwhelming and gaslighting to me. And and a lot of me trying to put on this face of like, ah, everything is okay. <laughs> uh, so I am breathing a lot, but but it is hard. Um and and I think I've talked about this before on this podcast, but, you know, social interactions have shifted and and my desire for certain social interactions have shifted. Um, but it's all it's all a process. Right. And we get to be beautifully human. And I have to often remind myself that I get to be beautifully flawed, human and ever changing and that 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 gets to be okay um, and have compassion around that. And quite honestly, that is a journey for me. Um, So if anyone out there can relate, I am sending compassion to you and some gentleness and some love because... I think we could all we could all use it in this this crunchy time. Um, And also, you're not alone. Anyways, I wanted to get to the episode because it's incredible. I feel really honored that Madison was able to take so much time to speak with me and to share their story for all of you and to me. It was such a gift, truthfully. Uh, So without further ado, please enjoy. Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited. Today we have Madison Young here. They are a sexual revolutionary who has been smashing stigma in the media for two decades and across multiple mediums and platforms, including several critically acclaimed books, their one-woman off-Broadway show, Reveal All, Fear Nothing, and directing, hosting, and producing the documentary television series Submission Possible for Reverie TV. Young brings their 18 years of experience as a pioneer in the feminist porn movement, along with their 
their award-winning filmmaking and writing talents to create in a way that reflects the emotional nuance and authentic vulnerability that has become a signature of Young's work. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah. So uh, we're we're mainly going to talk about the show that you have coming out on June 30th called Submission Possible for Reverie TV. Uh, but before we get into that, I would love to hear, you know, how did you get into the porn industry? A little bit about your background and your journey into ultimately culminating in, in this show right now and all the amazing things that you have created and put out into the world. Sure. So um, I've always been an artist. I went to performing arts school. I uh, was a theater major in high school and then in college. And then after college, moved to San Francisco. Um, and at the age of 20, I started Femina Potens, the queer feminist art gallery and performance space. Um, and uh, it was, uh, it cost a lot of money to run a space <laughs> yeah. in San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Yes. Um, so it was very, that was in 2000, and it was very common at the time for, um, there was a lot of overlap of uh, queer artists who were also sex workers and um, our sex work helped to support us to have the time to paint and sculpt and uh, smash the patriarchy. <laughs> so I was I was a part of that that movement. Um, uh, so when I started uh, Femina Potens, I almost and it 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 was very synchronicitous that uh, or something like that that <laughs> I that I started working. Uh, doing different kinds of sex work, um, starting with dancing at the legendary Lusty Lady, which was unionized and uh, owned by the dancers. Um, oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so it was a, a really great start. And then from there, I started doing erotic film with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, the first erotic film that I did was for Good Vibrations, and it was a sex educational film called G Marks the Spot that was out <laughs> on both DVD and VHS. That's how Amazing. old I am. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and uh, that was kind of the start of it. Uh, I did a bunch of different random things like nude house cleaning and selling my dirty panties and sure. uh, and, but I, I really enjoyed being in front of the camera um, because it was also this way of collaborating with other artists and documenting my sexual exploration. I was in my very young 20s, you know, so um, I was exploring everything. Um, and it was so cool to have these different fetishes that were brought up to me and have an opportunity, a container to explore those different things in in this safe parameters of a, a studio um, and and to also have it documented often uh, sometimes these explorations were happening with real life partners and sometimes on my own um, and I found it fascinating I uh, 
I was always kinky. I always enjoyed having sex in a queer and different kind of way. And uh, I just loved the container of porn as a way to document that. Um, so uh, <laughs> while I was building Feminipotens and continued to curate visual art and performance art and spoken word and all of these different events there um, and do my own body of work, which went more into performance art and writing. I also was totally enamored with porn and started to see that as um, the juiciness and politics that were behind porn and how important it was as a queer and feminist individual to document our sexuality. So I started gravitating more towards queer porn and feminist porn and ways that I could also bring my feminist ethos and politics into the porn I was doing. Um, and then in 2005, I started directing my own erotic films as well. Oh, wow. Okay, so there's so much I want to unpack and get into there. But I am curious, where did you grow up and what was the, the main messaging around sex and sexuality as you were coming into your adulthood? Sure. Yes, that <laughs> that is really the nugget of it all, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because all of that's amazing and I want to hear about it, but I am always curious, you know, like where, what is this version out of, you know, I, yeah. I, I came up from a, a pretty um, vanilla kind of Pollyanna sort of background and, and that paved a lot of my thinking for a very long time. Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, uh, I, I say that everything that I do, every book that I write, every piece that I put out into the world is for that young queer back in Ohio. Mm. You know, I grew up in Southern Ohio, very conservative background, um, very sex negative background. Um, I was never told what sex was, not even wrong messaging around it. There simply were no conversations about it. It was feared. Um, mm there it was it was not a positive environment um i i i definitely received messaging that um gayness was a sin um i definitely internalized that um my pure existence was sinful that my body was sinful um and that was suffocating. It was so suffocating to not see yourself represented around you, to not see your story represented around you, um, to feel alone in your experience and isolated. And so that's why I send these books, these stories, do these interviews. Every one of those things is like a message in a bottle to those folks that need to see their stories and themselves represented and out there. Yeah. Um, that's why I've dedicated my life to um, creating better queer representation in the media of all kinds. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was definitely a very sex negative environment. 
And as I, but I, there was like a part of me that knew, I just knew that something else existed, mm -hmm. had to exist. And I think that also, um, that, that made me a better artist because I was like surrounded by all this hate and pain and like isolation. And I would just stare out the window and I would just invent worlds, you know, mm -hmm. um, I would, I could imagine these worlds into being. And I think that's what being an artist is, is, is being able to imagine birth new worlds into existence. That's what we do, yeah. um, which is pretty fucking amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that is the root of, of, of where it all comes from. And then, so you were saying that through your exploration and different sex work and starting to film it in 2000 with this uh, art collective, would you did, would you describe it as a collective or was it your? No, no yeah, collective. it was definitely. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a it was a nonprofit arts organization. Okay. So it was an art gallery and performance space um, that I was the executive and artistic director of. Got it. Got it. So um, this, yeah, this nonprofit art organization and then exploring sex work in, in these different facets. And you were saying that that as you started to explore different kinks and that it was it, it was documented and, and that was part of the fun of of documenting your journey. And so I'm curious how how it evolved and and if they evolved together like as part of this podcast my exploration has like tenfold just exploded because of the guests I brought on and because of the new experiences that I've had and so they've gone kind of hand in hand and my mind is consistently blown with with people and their experiences and and what they're into and what they're what they're interested in sharing and so I'm curious if if that is a similar experience that you had in this time when you were exploring and also getting to document it in this this really cool way yeah um I mean I I absolutely evolved from the 20 year old <laughs> novice yeah, sure. self to my 40 year old self now sure. I there's you know a lot of changes that happen throughout that time um I think that's a beautiful thing about sexuality and our bodies um and, you know, it was such a gift to have that space to explore pleasure and my body and the way it was changing and explore new things of like, what feels good now? What mm. feels nourishing now? And I mean, I, I definitely hit points when I was in my late 20s where I thought like, I've got this dialed in. I know exactly what I like. I know exactly who I like. I know <laughs> what my turn-ons are and what my turn-offs are. And then I became pregnant for the first time. And it like mm. blew all that shit out the window. Wow. Um, which was also the impetus for my for one of my books, The Ultimate Guide to Sex Through Pregnancy and Motherhood. Um and uh which is not talked about enough. It's like once you become a mother and pregnant, then those things I feel like in the media's eyes and how I was right. sort of raised, they get very separate, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, people have a hard enough time talking about uh, sexuality on its own, but then when you <laughs> sure. parent with it, parent it with anything like parenting right. or, or an identity that is a mother. Um, yeah. People 
have a very hard time thinking about that and talking about it. But um, during pregnancy, my body, you know, with your body is constantly changing very rapidly. Um, what feels good and what feels nourishing changed very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was kind of a lot to take in around like, oh my gosh, am I losing this part of my identity? Will I not be, you know, be a severe masochist anymore? Um, Am I, you know, how am I going to shift and change? Um, But I, I think that something that I realize is, you know, it's that we're never static. We're just never static. We're always transforming and evolving and changing. And so it's really, it's great to know that there's like certain things just like on a menu that you generally kind of like, but um, but checking in with your body um, on a day-to-day basis. And I mean, like what what would feel nourishing Yeah. and and what my body craves like today yeah in this moment which takes so much presence and Mm -hmm. space and time you know even a couple minutes which can be a lot for people who who don't take that time and even I struggle with being like oh yeah I should I should probably check in and like how do I feel right now you know what's coming up for me totally yeah, absolutely. And so uh, I love this. Yeah, I love this transformation you're describing. And so what what was that journey like through pregnancy? And how was the the journey of giving yourself this evolution and time to evolve into something potentially new or a part of, you know, what what it was? Um, I, I, I imagine that's that that was challenging and especially around pregnancy and all of these prescriptive ways that we have around what pregnancy and motherhood should look like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was difficult, at, at least with, I have two kiddos, so it was, I had the skills and I had already written a book on how to do it by the second one. Got it. Um, but with my first kiddo, you know, it was, DIY learning by trial and error and and, um but I have always I think that having again having that container of um erotic film and the language that goes along with even being kinky um it's like a built-in um negotiation and communication you're communicating with either your scene partner in an erotic film or, or your scene partner in, in kink and, um, and communicating with them about like, how is my body feeling right now? Like what would feel really good right now? What do I not feel like doing right now? And releasing judgment of, of yourself, of there are no expectations um, that simply holding space for however you are feeling in that moment yeah and so how did it evolve from the previous experience of of documenting your your exploration and an erotic film to when you were pregnant and and even after the baby came out in postpartum what what did that look like for you 
Um, I mean, I don't know. That's like talking about a decade of work. Yeah, it's, got it. you know, it, my first, my first film that I did with my girlfriend, you know, we, it was it was very different from say seven years later having sex with a stranger in mainstream porn, um, but I mean I think that um, along the way there was so much that developed. I mean I think who who I was as a kinky individual evolved and changed because of my experiences and what I had done and um, and what felt nourishing and who my partners were and you know just everything shifts and changes in your life and impacts like what feels good and right and what you need yeah in those moments yeah yeah that totally makes sense and so then going back to your experience starting in like right when you started the nonprofit arts organization then and into erotic film and 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 seeing that as a a vehicle it sounds like for your own exploration and for your own artistic enjoyment what because you know i think that there are certain there's a lot of negativity that's associated with the porn industry and maybe more mainstream porn and so i'm wondering was was the experience that you had that you were able to cultivate with your friends and with your partners in this more intimate, you know, atmosphere, were you able to translate that into the more mainstream um, or were you able to create that yourself by directing and producing and, and creating your own erotica? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of all of that. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've directed over 60 erotic films over the last 15 years. So um, some of those were very niche and smaller um, feminist porn pieces. And some of those were for much larger, more mainstream um, production companies. Um, and I did, uh, I have always been very active in um, bringing feminist ethos into mainstream porn, but it's hard, you know, I mean, it, it's like this duality of, of like feminist porn versus mainstream porn, you know, it's um, because there are so many powerful folks that have created work within the mainstream sure. porn industry. I mean, my, my chosen mama, Annie Sprinkle, like being one of them and Candida Royale and um, and Nina Hartley and Tristan Terramino um, and uh, and many other performers and um, there have been a lot of us that have done a lot of work within mainstream porn and, um, and I think recently like in the last five years there's been a lot more activism like folks getting really vocal um, about things that do need to change that um, are maybe being uh, upheld or have been upheld for way too long um, and calling out stuff when it's like, mm, this is broken and it's ancient. We really need to change this. Yeah. And, um, and I think that for a long time, people didn't because, or their voices were squelched because um, enough people weren't speaking up. Sure. But um, 
I really do feel like because of the work that I did and other folks in the early 2000s along with me, that um, that feminist porn movement, we we helped to cultivate, like people saw that feminists were making porn yeah. and that feminists were performing in porn. And they were like, cool, I'm a feminist. I can also perform in porn. And so right. enough of us like took up space that like our voice became much bigger even within mainstream spaces. Um, and so I feel like we've been able to like create a lot of change and it's really, I mean, there's so much more that needs to happen, but um, which will always be the case within any kind of labor, um, labor rights. But, you know, in the last 20 years, I've definitely seen a lot that I feel like has shifted and changed. And, and even the feminist and queer porn movement there, there wasn't a lot of calling anything feminist porn yet. And queer porn did not have a label or a section, you know, there was like, gay and lesbian porn or girl girl porn not really a place for folks that were trans identified or non-binary or um it's so much more vast now and incredible and i'm wondering so this this lens that you're talking about of feminist porn and queer porn and this movement that you were a part of how was that different than some of the other more mainstream or other approaches whether they were mainstream or not that you all were 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 employing within your art and the way that you were creating these films yeah i mean some of the uh the like tenants i'd say that um, that I bring into my films and that are part of feminist porn is the first word that comes to mind is choice. You know, it's all about choice. So, um, when I'm working with a performer, I ask them who they want to have sex with, how they want to have sex, where they want to have sex, (laughs) you know, like I, I sculpt the scene with them. Sometimes it is a narrative in which I have um, scripted something already, but I try to talk with them beforehand so that I I get an understanding of who they are and I can build a scene um, based on the things that they think are hot. The, The sex is always the kind of sex that they want to have. Um, I is holding space for the sex that they want to have with um, the people they want to have sex with and um, the kind of lube that they want to use and um, incorporating um, communication and negotiation um, into the narrative Mm -hmm. um, and into the scene and showing that. Um, So those are, you know, it's, it's about choice and um in you know in some of the other more i'm just gonna call it fast food porn (laughs) uh, or junk food porn uh you know there's 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 this there has been this type of porn that has been created it's much more formulaic Mm -hmm. and when anything is created that is more formulaic, um, they, it's very plug and play. So I need 
a blonde that has large tits and that does anal. Right. You know, and it's not about who she is as right. a person. When I'm when I'm casting, I'm casting either people that I already know or I am looking at their social media and I'm like, okay, who is this person? What is their what are their politics about? What are they interested in? Who are they as an individual? Got it. And then I talk with them and I get to know them more. And I'm like, oh, like, you know, is this someone I could base a character on or that I want to like, you know, that's in line with these values? Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's less about the aesthetics of like how many tattoos a person has or right. what, you know, what, whatever. Um, it, and and they actually have a say in who they're having sex with and the kind of sex that they're having. And um, it's less about, I don't like to create any kind of art um, with, this is, I mean, this is, doesn't make me a good capitalist because I'm not a good capitalist, I'm an anarchist. Sure. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't make art for a market. I don't make, right. I don't create a narrative with that in mind. I, I open myself up and I channel a story mm. that wants to come through me. Um, and then I find the right community and collaborators to bring that vision to life. Got it. And, and for you, having worked in front of the camera and behind the camera, does it fulfill similar parts or different like what what is is there a different experience or does it tickle different parts of your your kink or your exploration or your fun a hundred percent yeah I you know uh many of the first films that I directed I was also the star of because okay. I was at this point I was you know I don't know I was like 24 25 and um, for one, I didn't have very much money to be making the films. So it helped the budget a whole lot if I was the star sure. um, and directing and writing and sure. producing. Um, and, uh, and I was like, I didn't have to worry about if something was going to be too tough. I'd be like, okay, you know, I can do a single ankle suspension with a ball gag in my mouth and I'm like drooling and directing and I'm like, I need you to get a closer. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, you know, it's like doing everything. And, uh, you know, I, I create art in so many different ways. I, I, um, I feel like when I'm performing, it's a very embodied experience. So it's more similar to performance art or theater, like acting, you know, you're embodying it It's or dance, right? It's like yeah. physical. Um, but when you're uh, directing, it's more like a writer, you know, and it's, it's cerebral. You have to, you have to know what shots are, 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 are what shots you're capturing. So, there's this bounce between the body and the head, which is very interesting yeah. when you're performing and directing. Um, but I, I do know that um, when I direct, I uh, having been a performer, 
um, has absolutely informed the way that I direct oh, because yeah. mm -hmm. I'm uh, very empathetic to the performers and the people that are in front. Right, right, right. right feels like to yeah. be in that position. Um, I know what it feels like to be waiting for the lights to be changed. So I'm, I'm always checking in with them. I'm always making sure that they have water, that they have food, that they have a robe if they need it, that, that they are feeling like they have had held space for enough communication with their partners. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot of check-ins with them. Uh, for me, I, you know, I, I also wrote a book called The DIY Porn Handbook, Documenting Our Own Sexual Revolution. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, it, you know, I, I say that I, I feel like the performer is the most important part of a film. Um, really, because, I mean, it's, it's great to have a stunning cinematographer and and every single person plays a key role but if you have a fucking killer performer you could just have a camera there and tell them the story and they'll make it look good yeah. you know but you need to do everything you can to set up that space so that the performer knows they are loved, they are cared for, they are held, they are supported in every way so that they can be vulnerable and open and share themselves with the camera. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, I love that. Um, I I direct as well and, and there is something really, and I teach, and there's something really beautiful to, to cultivating and creating that container so that others can have that experience and that you get to join in on on that as well there's like this amazing symbiosis that you can click into that's just like oh my god we just created art uh which is really fun but um amazing and so then moving forward um i am curious i, I want to get into the the tv show and i can't wait to hear all about it i just had one follow-up on being a mother and being, a, you know, in the sex work industry and erotic film. And so I'm curious about your lens with motherhood and, and, and raising children while also being mindful of, you know, like, I don't know. I think rearing children is so interesting in that we shield them from a lot of things that, that, that are harmful. And so I love people who are sex workers who, who bring up children because I just think there's an awareness and a language that is cultivated from such a young age that's really beautiful. And so I'm wondering about your lens with that and your experience, uh, yeah, in that, in that regard. Sure. Um, I mean, uh, so I have two kiddos and I mean, I, the thing is, you know, I mean, it's, it's the most fascinating thing to talk about is porn, but I don't spend my whole day having sex sure. or no, even of documenting people having sex. Sure. Um, in fact, as a mother, it is very rare that I am having the experience right now coming out of post pandemic of having sex. Sure. Sure. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm really boring and normal. And uh, I totally believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I get um, it. <laughs> however, I mean, 
you know, being a feminist and being sex positive way more informs my, uh, and an artist way more informs my parenting than necessarily any involvement in porn, um, which means that um, I take consent very seriously. My kids um, know names for body parts. I have never assumed a gender or pronouns for my children. Um, I let them always choose those. I hold space for that. Um, agency is a very big thing. We talk daily about consent and negotiation and communication, um, especially with my four-year-old, but really amongst everyone. Um, and that has been since birth. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I think those are the, the biggest things. I don't have agency. I mean, I don't, I don't pick up my kid without asking. I don't touch their body without asking. Um, my family knows not to hug or kiss my kids without asking. Um, you know, it's, it's much more about agency of body and consent and communication and um, yeah, agency. Yeah. Really. Um, and, you know, I mean, my kids know that I spend most of my time writing. I, that I do make films, that people interview me a lot, that I make work about sex. They know an idea of what sex is. Um, there's some incredible books by people like uh, Corey Silverberg that are. Um, wonderful and gender neutral um, and talk about bodies. Um, they, they, they get and understand that um, sometimes mommy's job is hard because I make a lot of work that um, is about sex and that a lot of society doesn't have a very comfortable uh, relationship with that. Sure, yeah. Um, so those are things that they know and understand and like their grandma is Annie Sprinkle. So right. you know, they, <laughs> Annie, Annie and uh, her wife were at both of the kids labors and were at the birth of my first kid. Um, and their grandparents to the, to my kiddos. Totally. So, you know, I mean, that's always been, there's just a comfortability with bodies. Um, that's, you know, I mean, I'd say those are the, the main things, but, um, but I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a sex worker. Uh, I don't work in the sex worker industry. I'm uh, a writer and a producer for TV and feature film now, so. Yeah, and I, I apologize and I appreciate you calling me out and the feedback, uh, yes. Thank you for, for clarifying and, and pivoting that. Absolutely. And, and I do apologize for, for labeling that. Uh, I, I, yes, I, I love the, the feedback about that and that, that that's how it results in communication with your, with your kids. And it's something that I am striving for as well. When, when I decide to have a family of, uh, that sex positivity and that, that awareness of, of bodies and consent and, and agency. So, so thank you for sharing that. And I do, I do well, sincerely apologize. I, um, 
yeah, I, I mess up on this podcast a lot. So I appreciate oh, the feedback. I mean, it's totally fine. And like, I, I basically, uh, in March, I directed my last erotic film for oh, Lust okay. Cinema. So um, that was kind of my, I'm, it, you know, I mean, I love, I love feminist porn and I feel like, I feel like it's a, a it's really interesting because I work in so many different mediums mm -hmm. and, um, and it is, it's, it's still hard for folks to think about porn itself as a medium. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, I feel like, you know, I, I started Empress and Lavender Medium, um, Empress and Lavender Media, my film and, uh, and television production studio last year. And I have just decided to put all of my energy into, into that. And I'm really excited to put all of like the last 16 years of experience in filmmaking into this new production company and those that same ethos um, uh, and mission towards queer representation um, into television and feature film. Yeah, that's super exciting. And so that's an awesome segue into Submission Possible. So what is, what is the show? And uh, yeah, what, 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 is, what is it about? It's, it's such an exciting concept and I love the trailer. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Submission Possible is a documentary uh, television series. It's a, a, a queer sex positive uh, TV series in which I travel to different cities and I explore the queer and kinky culture in that city. Um, it's uh, I'm trying to do for sex positive culture what Anthony Bourdain did for food. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I've over the last two decades, I've been interviewed so many times for different um, uh, sexuality documentary series, but um, it's it's so often sensationalized, mm -hmm. and um, and often the person who is the host is um, not a part of the community, and um, and like much of um, of television, <laughs> there's often a lot of uh, white males. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, so, absolutely. You know, I'm trying to tra change all of those things. I, I really, instead of um, sensationalizing things that could be considered quite edgy, instead, I'm really making it more like we're all sitting down at a kitchen table and swapping recipes. You know, I want to um, have intimate conversations with people about their kinks and fetishes and like how they discovered those fetishes and um, hold spa space for them to explore them and we share them and um, share those experiences together. Um, it's it's been really awesome. Yeah. yeah. How many episodes have you recorded so far? Uh, five episodes. So there'll be six episodes in the uh, season one. Oh, very cool. And is there an experience that stands out to you or, or a, a, a larger takeaway just from creating this type of show in your way without a sensationalized view 
that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's been it's been really really powerful. Um, I there have been so many gems of moments throughout the show, but I think that one of the things that makes it super potent is that um, at at least okay. So the the first episode, the pilot, it's already out on Reverie TV. And then, um, but it was uh, picked up and then the pandemic hit. So we had been in hiatus. And so the, all the shows have been shot in the last two months and, um, and everyone is like emerging, you know, I mean, like there's so much, <clears throat> so much healing that has to happen right now because we've all, um, so many people haven't been engaging in their kinks and fetishes. And so I'm meeting with these people who have, you know, profoundly changed over the pandemic. And then they're coming back into this kink and having an opportunity to engage in with something that's always been so fulfilling for them mm -hmm. that they have such a relationship to. Um, it's like reconnecting with our bodies, reconnecting with pleasure, reconnecting with our community. Um, so I feel like this first season has just some extra potency to it. Um, because of that, it could have yeah. never been expected. Yeah, we didn't plan it that way, but, um, like Midori is amazing and, um, you know, and I was, I was talking with her and she's, you know, she's been in rope longer than I've been at all of this even. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't tied anyone up in a year. And I'm like, I haven't been tied up in a year. How is that possible when I'm a total rope sled and like you're Midori, like that's right. wild. Um, and we also talked to like, uh, a boot black who like that is their thing. They have like um, boot blacking polish tattooed on them and stuff like they're like hardcore, um, you know, the boot black. Like, can you expand on what boot black is? Because I don't even really know what that. Oh, means. Um, yeah, boot blacking is um is like poly it, i'm gonna totally butcher it up because i'm not a boot black but and i <laughs> but um it is so often in the leather community folks will wear leather boots or black mm -hmm. leather boots and a lot of times at different um kink events there will be a boot black station and that's where you sit and you get your boots polished and shined and oiled and um uh you know le leather in in the leather culture was like representative like especially in the the gay men leather culture was like representative of the tough armor and skin that they had to wear you know um because it it's still not so safe to be queer yeah. but you know i mean it used to be a lot more not safe to be yeah. queer and to be out and so um you know they talk a bit about how 
when you were wearing that armor, when you were wearing that leather, you were less likely to get fucked with. If you like looked like you drove a motorcycle, even if you didn't, Got you it. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that kind of continued on of like this, like earning your leathers and, um, and with, with the boots, um, it's a very humble thing to like kneel down and to polish someone's boots and care mm. for that leather, you know, their armor, their skin, the thing that protects them. So um, cleaning, we went through the whole process of like cleaning it, polishing it, mm -hmm. um, oiling it. Um, you're like kind of massaging the person through it as well, you know, so it's like this yeah. very like, humble moment of of servitude to someone um and the culture got it oh very yeah. cool thank you for expanding on that i was like i don't have familiarity <laughs> with that term i appreciate it <laughs> yeah but you know even even that individual had not um had not engaged very much i don't think at all during the pandemic in um boot blacking and um and I just met, I, this kept coming up yeah. as um, one of um, my dear friends that um, we interviewed in the Bay Area. Um, they had chest surgery during the pandemic and it was their first time playing um, since chest surgery. Cool. So like had like even like this totally kind of like new new body and like this new flesh and new new part of themselves and new so like there's just like so much newness yeah. and first times or not the first ever time but the yeah. you know, revisiting yeah, after like this emergence yeah, of cool. transformation during the pandemic so yeah, I mean, you know, as much as I know you weren't planning on it, it sounds like what an amazing gift and what an amazing moment for for those of us watching to also be able to not only see people in a state of, of transition back into the world and acknowledgement of the trauma that we've all been been going through, which I feel like is being washed away by the media largely, but also... Yeah, to, to witness these humans doing the things that they love or revisiting those things yes. in a new way. What a, what a joy and what permission to give to everybody else that, that we can also do that as well. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Amazing. And so then Reverie.com is, is it a subscription? Um, you know, what, what is it? How, how, how can we find it on, on Reverie.com and what does that look like? Yeah, I I think it's rev is it reverie.tv or reverie.tv.com i might need to <laughs> check that okay um i think it's reverie.tv i think okay i could be wrong um but uh you can watch it directly from uh the website you can also download the reverie app you can also watch it on i know it's also on like roku on amazon fire um oh cool on uh there's like a whole list of different <laughs> places yeah, providers. Okay. all of the different providers um and then uh it will be on reverie but it will also be on many different platforms i can't announce them yet but if cool. you um follow us 
at submission possible on Instagram, we'll be announcing all the many places you can find submission possible as it's released. Um, we have uh, a big uh, first taste preview of the um, of episode two on June 30th. And that will only be available to um, our um, Indiegogo backers. Um, so uh, definitely, if folks have a chance, go and get their ticket there. Okay, perfect. <laughs> And um, then, um, and then after that, will the episodes be every week, or are they going to be all available at one time? They will be released um, one a month. So cool. in July, we will be releasing um, episode two, August episode three, etc. Um, and throughout the month, we will have um, different events that correspond to the different topics that are brought up in that documentary. So um, like in the uh, episode two, we dive into the history of burlesque and um, it, it occurs in Seattle. Um, we visit in Indigo Blue of the Academy of Burlesque. Um, I learned some fun things like tassel twirling and fan work and all this different kind of stuff, uh, <laughs> how to tease. It's a very weird thing for me. I'm not a tease. <laughs> okay. um, and, uh, and then also Pucks Plenty, who um, owns a, uh, a, a, it's a burlesque theater that is owned by burlesque performers um, in Seattle. And then we have a kinky high tea. Um, so anyway, during the month, we'll be diving into like burlesque, the intersections of uh, dance and um, sex and kink, as well as um, Neve is, uh, is featured in that episode who addresses um, representation in queer porn and disability. And um, so we'll be diving into that as well and having a lot of conversations about those topics um, and spanking. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That sounds like a jam-packed episode. I can't wait to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Each episode has so many different facets. So yeah, it sounds like it. Very cool. Uh, well, we'll have all those links at the bottom of the show notes as well for folks in and on all of the posts. So thank you so much for being here. This has been a joy. It's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. And I can't wait to watch the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Oh, woohoo! Holy crap. How good was that episode? I mean... Madison is just sort of mind-blowing. And I also want to point out that uh, there's a couple of times where I said something that that wasn't reflective of Madison's experience or what we were talking about, and Madison kindly corrected me. And, you know, I think that it's really important to keep that in this show because 
we're all learning. I am learning. And it's important for me to acknowledge being called out slash called in and to acknowledge when I've done something that maybe misrepresented somebody or uh, was wrong and to breathe and receive uh, feedback and to not do it again in the future. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I, I appreciated their feedback and I hope that that it can also serve as, as an example that we are humans in progress, <laughs> like I talked about in the intro, and that we get to have compassion around our mistakes when we acknowledge them and move forward with new information and, you know, uh, with, with better with better information and intentions. So thank you so much again for coming on, Madison. All of the links to uh, the tickets for episode two of Submission Possible uh, are in the show notes, uh, her, their website, and um, all of the social media links. Check Madison out. They are always creating so many amazing things, and you want to get involved in their community. Um, as always, please follow Finding My Young Podcast on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Finding My Yum Podcast. Slide into my DMs or my email, findingmyyum at gmail.com. I love hearing about guest recommendations, topics that you want to hear about, and I always take them really seriously. And so many guests have come from your suggestions. So please send them to me. And please check us out on YouTube. If you want to see our beautiful shining faces, uh, you can go to Finding My Young Podcast on YouTube and watch the episodes if you're more into a visual medium. And please subscribe. Subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube. It really helps out. Share with a friend. Share with 71 friends. Uh, You know, I'm sure everybody needs a little spice in their life right now. And uh, I love to, to grow this community. So please share with anybody you think that would love to hear this content. Uh, I love you all. Please stay yummy. Please take care of yourselves. Stay with that compassion. Know you are loved and not alone. See you in two weeks.